open here with me. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. And I'm going to give you a background by you going over there to it. Uh, Paul is getting ready to go to a different area in his ministry, and he's turning the church over to a young disciple of his, a young apprentice of his, a young man by the name of Timothy. And he's trying to let Timothy know a few things in, in advance. He's trying to get him as prepared as possible. I heard people talk all the time. They say, well, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And I found out that that is one of the most foolish statements we can ever make, that I'm ready. Because there's no way to be ready for all the circumstances that could happen. So God didn't ask you to be ready. He just asked you to be prepared. Paul said one time, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to go to Rome, and I'm ready for these things here. And he said, oh, yeah. Well, how do you like going this way? Let's go through a shipwreck, snake bite, stoning, prison, uh, and all these, let down in a basket, uh, defamed. Are you ready for that? And I guarantee you, Paul said at one time, I wasn't ready, especially that sickness part. I besought the Lord three times to take that thorn of the flesh away. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Are you ready? He said after, after all, going through a lot of things over there in Philippians, he said, you know, I have learned. Yes. How did you learn? I learned how to be a base, and I know how, to, I learned how to abound. I learned that whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. I had to learn that. I thought I was ready, but then I found out I wasn't. Amen? Timothy, he's trying to get him prepared. Look at verse number 12. The Bible said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, uh, who was before a blasphemer and a uh, persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And by the way, I like that. As brilliant and as smart as Paul was in a lot of areas, as he was Saul of Tarshish, when God got a hold of his heart, he realized just how vile he actually was. And once he came there to that realization that he had issues, which we don't like to come to that issue, we like to think that everybody else got issues and we're all right. <laughs> Amen. There's no problem with me. It's not that the, you know, a blind person said, I'm not blind. The world is just dark. Amen. Sometimes we have to realize <clears throat> the problem is us. And Paul never lost fact, no matter how, uh, the, the uh, prospect, no matter how big he got in the ministry, he said that Christ Jesus came to die for sinners of whom not I was chief, of whom I am chief. Amen. And so he comes out here, he said, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy that in the first, uh, excuse me, that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now watch this, folks, because Y'all got an um, emphasis coming up with missions and all of these things here. He first said, hey, look, God showed something in me first. He dealt with my heart first. And once I realized what he could do with somebody like me, it encouraged me to go out there and be able to talk to anybody. Because as far as I know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm the worst of the lot. 
And if he can save the worst, he can save anybody else who's better than that. Amen. How many of y'all are saved here today? Say amen. amen. How many remember how bad you were? How many of y'all can't forget how bad you were? <laughs> I can always go back to the days and times before I got saved, and I can always, my testimony, in April 1977 in a field in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, a person who was uh, part of being a Jehovah's Witness, a person who got involved with all of that stuff, introduced a, my wife to it, a high school dropout. He talked about this degree, this book, and all this other stuff. I'm a high school dropout. I dropped out in the 10th grade in a school in Philadelphia because I saw somebody get uh, stabbed in the hallway of the school, and I felt so uh, threatened by that that I never went back to school again until I was 21 years old. I wasn't even smart enough to realize that I was married. Uh, and by the way, my, 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 my Lord gave me a wonderful wife because she married a high school dropout. Amen. And God turned that dropout around and made him a drop-in when he saved me in that field in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. He, made, he turned me uh, my whole life around and made me something I could never become on my own. Amen. He made me something that I could never unbecome. Once I got saved, I can't be unsaved. Right. Amen. And so when he changed my life like that, uh, you know, uh, people, you know, asked this question to our wife. said, how could you, why did God make you so, you know, preacher told the thing, why did God make you so beautiful and yet so dumb? <laughs> and he said, she said, well, he made me beautiful so you would like me and made me dumb so I would like you. <laughs> that is the perfect picture of our relationship with my wife and I. She was beautiful and I was attracted to her and she was dumb and didn't see me. But once she saw me, she said, I thought you were wealthy. Uh, she's in the inner city of Philadelphia, too. I came flying in on a plane. She said, I never met anybody who had ever been on a plane before. Now, we're not talking about Kansas, folks. We're talking about Philadelphia. <laughs> never met anybody who'd been on a plane before. Never met anybody who's done those things here. And here I come flying in on a plane. She said, you, you must have been rich. And then she she. Brother, what is the truth, preacher? She thought that I was wealthy. That's why she came after me. Amen. <laughs> Shows me how, you, how God blinds the minds of the simple. Amen. And uh, I tell you, and my wife is smart. My wife is is a lot of things that she, uh, you know, it was the Lord blinding her to a moment where she, where He could take somebody like me, an inner city kid, a dropout, somebody's gone through all kinds of problems, a statistic, in all sense of the word. Change, turn him around, put him in the pulpit, change his whole concept of what a family was about, and it all happened because of the gospel. Yes. And so Paul said, that's what's happened to me. And Timothy, I want you to understand that this could happen to you. Uh, this is what you're going to be facing out there. He said, uh, look down in verse number nine. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, uh, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. I know we said we got through the whole message and now he wants to pray. Uh, I still need the Lord. Amen. Father, for a moment. And here's what Timothy is being prepared for. The ministry, and by the way, think about this. This has been centuries ago. And you'll find out when the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, 
you'll find out there's nothing new under the sun. He said, Timothy, here's what I need you to be prepared for when you go to that church, when you start taking over that church in Ephesus. I need you to get prepared because if you're not going to be prepared, what's going to happen is you're going to get out there and you're going to see some things and you're going to get highly discouraged and you're going to wonder what in the world is God doing and what in the world am I doing here? And you're going to be asking those questions and they're going to be baffling your souls. And by the way, I'm going to give you this here. Timothy didn't take it all in because like many of our young preachers and even me, I was a little brash when I first took over the ministry. I thought once I took over the ministry that everybody would hear my golden voice and they would see my, my magnanimous presence and then they would flock to this church and they will come over there, oh, God has brought you down here from heaven. You are the manna that we were expecting. And they would go ahead and fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus by the droves. But they didn't. <laughs> not only did they not flock, they purposely avoided me like I had to play. <laughs> and so Timothy's going to find this out. He told him not to, he told him, make sure you keep this in your life and do this and make sure you take care of that and make sure you look after this because if not, I need you to be an example of a believer, Timothy. I need you to do all of these things here. Timothy, yeah, 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 I got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, woo I'm ready. When you read first, uh, Second Timothy, you find out he wasn't, and he got miserable, and he's crying, and he's, he's coming to the place where he's questioning his own salvation. And Paul has to say, I'm convinced of the faith that was in you, which was also in your mother and in your grandmother. You're a third generation believer, Timothy. You should not be in this thing. God has not given you the spirit of fear but of power and of a sound mind. He's trying to re-encourage this guy. He starts telling them now, you got to man up. Be a soldier. Good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Train other people because you'll find out if you teach others, you'll learn better. If I don't have to share it, there's no proof that I've ever learned it. So once I have to share it, then I've got to study to show myself approved. And that's what he had to tell them to do. But over here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says this, this is what I'm preparing you for. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Now you notice that capital S on Spirit? It's letting you know that this is the Holy Spirit of God talking to you. That in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Ain't y'all know anybody that's ever been really faithful and now they're out of the ministry altogether? Out of church and you're trying to figure out how to get them back? He says, wait a minute, you're living in a time when this is going to be a norm. There's reasons why, and, and by the way, we hate to hear that, but it's not a hopeless situation. It is a helpful situation because when God tells you how it's going to be, you follow God's program, you won't get discouraged when it happens the way he said. You'll be encouraged knowing that God's right, and it means that you and I just have to go out there and be more active because God's remnant is still there ready to receive the gospel. Amen. And so we have to understand that. Not everybody we're going to speak to. Many people uh, down south, I got to tell you this here. Down south, everybody's saved. There are no unsaved. I have not knocked on one unsaved person's door down south. Not one. Everybody's, oh, yeah, I'm saved. I've been saved. And you go to church anywhere? No, I don't go to church anywhere. Well, what do you do, saved person? 
Do you witness to anybody? Do you tithe? You know, well, I just believe that God, you know, wherever there are two or three gathered in his name, there you should be. And that's what I call the church. Well, that's what I call fellowship. But that ain't church. Amen. Amen. Right. Well, what do you do with your tithe? Tithe? I got folks over there who think that they gave God $18 last year, and that's, a, that's almost, that's over a dollar a month. You know, and, and, you know, that ain't even a tip. <laughs> and they think that they've done something. I'll get to the church, I'll do all of these things. And by the way, they give $18, and then they want to run the church. They want to tell God how it's supposed to be done. You know, preacher, you know you should handle it like that. How much did you tithe again last year? Now, I don't know, so I, 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 it gives me liberty to go over there and just preach on the word of God and let it happen. Amen. But he said, some are going to depart from the faith. Amen. Watch what they're going to do. Giving heed to seducing spirit. Who told you that? Now, notice that spirit. It's a small letter. Who gave you that? Who said that? Why did you just sit there? Why did you go that way? Why did you get away from God? God told you not to listen to that foolishness. God told you what to think about. God told you these things. He tried to prepare you for what's going to happen. And we didn't listen sometimes. Amen. Look down here a little further. He said, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. Uh, can I help you? Sometimes when we, do, we, we don't think about the doctrine of devils, but the doctrine of devils is a doctrine where deception is its core. Yes. Yea, has God said. Mm-hmm. I've got to bring God in here or you won't even listen to me. Right. Then if I'm going to deceive you, because it's like giving you a counterfeit money. If I'm going to deceive you, I got to get it as close to the original, and then I introduce the counterfeit. Yeah, he has God said. And then he comes over there and he counters it, he questions it. Ye shall not surely die, but God doeth no. Now I'm bringing God back into the picture, don't you? That in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall open, and ye shall be as God's. Knowing good and evil. In other words, God's holding out on you. Doctrines of devils. And so people start listening to this stuff, and they actually think that they're better than they are. And they actually start thinking that they don't need this weird God of yours, because all your God says is no, 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 no. And we want the God that says yes, 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 yes. But they don't realize my God says yes and no. Amen. Because I'm going to give you some foundational boundaries to walk in. And as the psalmist put it, I will walk in liberty because I'll walk within thy precepts. I'll do what God wants me to do. And inside God's precepts, it is an enormous liberty. Amen. And he says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not again entangled with the yoke of bondage. He said, I want you to be in liberty. He said, but don't use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Don't use it as a sense of equivocation. That's a big word that I I learned since I went back to school. It just means for a pretense. I'm doing this here out of a pretense. I really want to do it because this is what I want to do to satisfy my flesh, but I'm justifying it so I can get away from church and get away from Christ. It's a pretense. So he said, don't do that. So he comes and he gives us all of these things. And by the way, by the devil, he always gives you rotten fruit. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. 
Somebody asked me a question. What would you like to do? How would you feel better? If you bit into an apple and saw a worm, or once you bit into the apple, you saw half of a worm? <laughs> yeah, some of y'all had to think about that. Well, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The worm is in the apple. Doesn't matter how you you see it. So he said, Timothy, you need to understand these doctrines of devils is coming out there, and they're going to come in there, and they're going to come into your ministry, and you're going to find people. Uh, whenever people preachers say this, uh, and maybe it's not the same here. When they tell me, oh preacher, I do, I so love you, preacher. I start asking, so when are you leaving? Because they always love me all the way out the door. And it ain't even my fault, amen, because I, I don't change them. And maybe they want me to change, but I'm, I'm still a lovable, personable, handsome guy. I've always been, amen. Not prideful, but I got to just tell the truth where it lies, amen. <laughs> you just got to do these things, amen. I'm one of the few people who had to cover up the physique to keep people from staring at me, amen. So God gave me this natural padding. Some people call it fat. I just call it camouflage. And... He comes down and he said, here's what they're going to be doing. He said they're going to be speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. It literally means they're going to lose all sensitivity to the things of God. When you deal, it's like scar tissue. It's like calluses. They no longer, no matter what you say to them, no matter how you present it to them, no matter how tender and compassionate you try and give it to them, because their conscience is seared. I don't know if they were church hurt. I don't know if they were religiously uh, 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 abused. I don't know any of those things, but I know this here. They came to the place anymore where they do not listen or the word of God does not penetrate. You preach on sin that they're doing, and it doesn't bother them. You preach, and by the way, it's not like I'm pointing out their, their sin. It's just that I'm preaching, and the Word of God does what it's supposed to do, and they're cleaning their fingernails. And you look at it and say, what's happened? What happened to the sensitivity of the people of God who, were, who could hear a message like uh, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God and go to hold on to the pillars of the church to keep from falling into hell? What happened to those people? What happened to those great churches like Highland Park Baptist Church and, 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 and Forest Hills Baptist Church who not only, who used to run thousands and thousands, who used to run hundreds of buses, what happened to those churches that now they're completely gone. Well, something happened. He said, boy, they got all kinds of challenges going down here. He said, they even regulate what we eat. Verse number four, talking about we can't even eat. He said, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. You know, which is why I Take God at his word. Now, I'm not going to eat okra because I, I think okra, or is, we got any okra eaters here? Amen. I, I, I'll, I'll preach to the other folks then because I've already come to the conclusion. You all like okra? Yeah, say again. I don't care if you fry it. I don't care if you boil it. I don't care if you wave it over the food. It's just bad. I don't get in your system to keep, make your socks fall down. I just can't handle it. I just can't handle it. Don't like it. It's a weed. You know it's bad for you when you pick it and you get a rash. So you got to pick it with gloves. Why would you put that in your life? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. 
So if y'all having problems in the church, you see where is the okra eaters over here. <laughs> but you know, because God made it, and if you pray over, if you pray over okra, <laughs> if you pray over okra, you can eat it. I can't imagine the first person who ate those uh, snails. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I was a pastor in Europe for 20 years. I mean, I lived in Europe for 20 years, pastored over there for 14, 15 years, and you'd go down there, and the way you eat snails is to change the name to escargot. Make it elegant. <laughs> what are you having? Escargot? <laughs> what is that? Ah, oh, just taste it. Dip it in garlic and butter. Oh, it's wonderful. Yes, what is it? It's snails. Oh, I'm not doing eating this foolishness. Amen. But it's not as bad as okra. Just know that. <laughs> Just know that, you know. <laughs> Boiled down poison ivy. Why would you eat that stuff? So as long as you pray, you're good to go. He tells them, I need you to be an example of a believer. Let's, just, let's go back to one. And uh, preacher, uh, I'm looking at that clock. 20 after. Good, good, good. It gives me just enough time to get the first point in. <laughs> he comes over there and he says, Timothy, this is the standard by which you're going to be going through. Verse 15 is going to be our highlight. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus, amen, came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said, so this is why Christ came. He came to save sinners. He came to save sinners. And these sinners need to know why Christ came. And if you and I don't tell them why Christ came, not that he came, because they already know he came. Amen. They know when he came. Even the rest of the world, they can't deny the fact that he came because when he came, he had such an impact on history that time stopped and started over. Anything before Christ is B.C., anything after Christ uh, uh, is in the year of our Lord, he came and he changed history. The way we tell time, the way we look at history is all relative to his uh, appearance in the earth. Amen? His manifestation, his, his incarnation. So they, they acknowledge, and by the way, they don't, mind, uh, they don't mind Christmas even though he wasn't born in December. They don't mind Easter even though it has nothing to do. If you look at your Bible in, in, in Acts chapter number 12, it tells you that Easter is just another word for the Passover, and it didn't even happen on a Sunday. It happened on a Friday evening into a Saturday evening, and the only reason why it's in the Word of God at all is because they had just killed James, and they were going to kill Peter the next, uh, the same, the next day, rather, but Easter, or the Passover, was at hand, and they put him aside until the next day, and they never got a chance to kill him, by the way, because Jesus broke him out of jail. Amen. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus knows how to use prisoners. But there you go. So as you come down here, as we look at this principle, why Jesus came into the world, number one, we have to realize about the gospel, the person of whom the gospel speaks. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world. Amen. And the, the, the problem is many times if we're not careful, the imperative which we face in Christ, the problem is many times we'll give them church before we give them Christ. 
And I talk to people, and they're like the woman at the well. Well, you know, you say we should worship over there, but we worship over here. And they want to give you their denominational background, their doctrine. And by the way, this is coming from, this is a woman who is shacking up, trying to tell the Savior how to go to church. And the Savior had to tell him, woman, I tell you, the time is, uh, is coming and now is we're neither in this mountain nor in that mountain. He said, God's looking for people to worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. Amen. Now, folks, let me tell you something that's even happening today. We got a church, a nation, a, a church body that is divided. We got some preacher who has the truth. And we got some who have spirit. Amen. Now, the people who got spirit, they're excited about absolutely nothing. I mean, the preacher says, hey, glory to God. Woo! And they're running, they're screaming, they're hollering, they're falling out, they're being slain in the spirit, they're laying hands on one another, they're anointing and they're fleecing the flock. But we got spirit. Amen. Then on this side, we got truth. The God, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. By the way, the Bible says a lot of things. And one of it, it says, the letter killeth. But the Spirit giveth life. So I got the letter, and I'm telling everybody what's wrong, but I've got no spirit in me telling me that it's good to do right. And so I got folks that's full of truth, and their face look like they just ate a whole bowl of persimmons. <laughs> God said you need to be straight. God says beat the fire out your children. And he does, he just says <laughs> chasing them. God says you need to do this. Women, you need to sub submit. And it, 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 it is truth, but it's not dealt with in love. And truth devoid of love is like a body devoid of a spirit. It may look good, but it's dead. So God says, I need somewhere in the middle, and so far we only got one person in the middle, <laughs> who got spirit with the truth or the zeal that people will believe that God's word and God's way is just plain better. Amen. Just plain better. When me and my family go home to Philadelphia and they see us, and they, people real, they look at me and I tell them, I'm going on 63 years old. What? 63 years old? I would have never thought you were that old. Y'all look so young. Y'all look so... Yeah, God's been good to me. I don't know what the devil's been doing for you. <laughs> but whatever he's doing for you, he got you beat slap up. <laughs> I don't know why you want to live that miserable, debilitating life. I mean, I, I want to get to the place where I... Because, I, folks, I'm looking for the rapture. I'm looking for the upper taker, not the undertaker. Amen. And until the rapture takes place, which I'm expecting it any time now, the Bible said in an hour when you think not the son of man coming, he could come during this hour here. And I want, to, I want him to catch me in the middle of preaching. And if I'm about to make a mistake, just call me up. This is why you, you're about to just make a big mistake. So I'll call the rapture just to spare you. Amen. <laughs> But I want him to catch me doing what he called me to do. Yeah. And I want him to catch me doing what he called me to do and loving every minute of it. 
I love this stuff. I love telling people about Christ. I mean, I pick with them and tell them about Christ. I go to the grocery store, preacher, and when I get up to the counter, I start, I start conversations by doing silly things. I got $75 worth of stuff over there, and I'll ask them a simple question as they're ringing it up and going through the thing. I said, is this going to cost more than $9? <laughs> And they stop for a second. <laughs> they look at the thing and say, I don't, and then you could tell when they're ready to play. Well, I don't know. We can check it later. And they say, oh, yeah, it's going to be much more than that. And I say, hey, do you have any coupons? Because I saw on that TV show that they had a bunch of coupons. And when they got finished, the guy had a whole cart full of stuff and only cost him like eight or nine dollars. Do you have any coupons? And they're playing along. No. And by the way, there's other people in the line listening, and I don't know how they came in there. They met, some of them was bitter, some of them was all these things here, but now they're listening, and for some strange reason, they're starting to smile because they think this guy at this counter is insane. <laughs> and they're not far off. And then I get a chance to talk with the cashier just a little bit because I don't know what her day was like. I don't know how many miserable people came over there giving her a hard time that will leave out of there and say that they were Christians. I don't know how many of them miserable lives that are out there that claim the name of Christ, but they have nothing that resembles the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. I don't know how many of them are out there with issues on their mind where they come to the place in their lives where they have to say, when it comes down to the peace that passes all understanding, they don't have it. They're trying to understand why. But that gives me also the opportunity, especially when those folks aren't around, because these people are listening, and they're saying these things here. And they say, where are you from? And I tell them, and I tell them about the church. That's my time. That's my five-minute warning, isn't it? Amen. Two-minute warning. And then, <laughs> so let me give you this. And then I give them tracts, so or I talk to them, invite them out to the church. So the person of whom the gospel speaks, i got to tell them about Christ. i got to tell them about Christ before I even tell them about the church, because I'm not interested in proselyting them. I'm interested in them getting saved, and the only way they can get saved is through Christ. Amen. Number one. So I got to make sure Christ is the imperative, and I need to make sure that when I go out there, amen, the initiative which we find in Christ, he is the one who told us to go. He told us to go. I didn't make this stuff up. It's not something that I said, well, you know, let's just make sure that the church, if you're going to be a part of this church, you're going to go. If you're going to be a part of the body of Christ, you got to go. Amen? Number one, the person of whom the gospel speaks. Number two, the purpose of which the gospel speaks. To save sinners. The word save gives you an an indication that there is the existence of danger. Amen? If you were in in a pool drowning and you saw a lifeguard out there, and you said, Lord, you say, sir, save me. What are you trying to get saved from? Drowning. Drowning, good. Praise the Lord. See, the spiritual person knew right where I was at. Spirit and truth, it was right there. That's right. You got saved from drowning. If you don't think you're in trouble, somebody could throw you that life preserver, and you know what you'll do with it? Like most kids do it, they'll play with it. They don't need it. They, don't, they won't cling to it. They won't put it around them. They won't because they don't see any real need for it because they're not drowning. I'm a good swimmer. But when you're drowning, son, you cling on to that thing because you know it'll save your life. There's a lot of people profess Christ, but they never clung on to him because as far as they were concerned, it's just church. 
But when you get saved, you know, when they pull you out of that drowning situation, if this place was on fire and you were trapped inside here and, and you saw somebody outside and you said, save me, what are you trying to get saved from? Fire. Good, now you caught on. See, the, the truth is coming in here. By the way, it's the many people who die in buildings with the exercise illuminated, but they try and go out another way. When I ask people about their salvation, I want to know what they got saved from. And if hell isn't part of it, then heaven many times will not be their future. I got saved from hell. Not from my problems, because I still got a bunch of problems. As you can probably tell, <laughs> hey man, this guy's got issues. He's got problems all over the place. His brain is oozing problems. Hey man. If I didn't get saved from hell, I didn't get saved at all. And we wonder why people don't make any change, because they never got saved from hell. They got saved, they think they got saved from problems. And they give me all kinds of stuff. You know, I was, I was in a car accident, and, and I thought I was going to die. And, and, and all of a sudden, God, I said, God, please get me out of this. And then when he got me out of it, I knew I was safe. Well, so that means you're worshiping the fire department who cut you out. You're, fi you're worshiping the tow truck. That doesn't mean you're saved. That means you're rescued. Amen. So the purpose for which the gospel speaks, what are we saved from? Hell. Who are we saved by? And not the church. Without the blood, there is no remission of sin. You got to be saved by Christ. Amen. And an intellectual knowledge of Christ won't get you there. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Amen. After that, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Lastly, the person of whom the gospel speaks, the purpose for which the gospel speaks, the people of whom the gospel speaks. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. He said, uh, this is something that should be given to everybody to show forth, a long, uh, a, to show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them, to them, which should hereafter believe on him. It wasn't just for Paul. He says this, for everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Everybody needs the gospel. Everybody needs it. And the only way everybody can get it is if everybody gives it. Young, old, shy, old, well, I can't go out. I can't do these things here. You may not be able to go out, but you can still pray. You may not be able to go to the foreign parts of the world, but you can still give. And I don't know if y'all know this, but... Compared to Lima, Minster may be a little bit part of the foreign parts of the world. Amen? Because Lima has a Walmart. <laughs> it does. I looked around Minster and y'all didn't have one. I was getting desperate. I read, almost ran out of fuel and I was wondering, does Minster have a gas station? <laughs> I did. I didn't know any better. You know, in my ignorance, I thought this here. And you, you do have a, a gas station. Or is it two? Two. Praise the Lord. I, saw, I found the Marathon. Amen. They're probably the most expensive one, too. But anyway, folks, Paul was just trying to get Timothy as prepared as possible for the people he had to go out and reach. 
and said, be un understand this here. It's going to cost you more than you might have thought. You can never be ready for it, but at least be prepared for what God's going to use you for. Amen? Father, thank you for great...